is your host, Alex Garrett. Hey, everybody. Welcome inside to Adapting with Alex Garrett. This is an adapting edition because what we're about to talk about is community, is post-pandemic, is actually even Crane's business. Because my next guest, who's a friend of mine from Queens College, and I always love catching up with those who are alumnus of Queens College, who I went to school with to see them thriving in the world. And my next guest is no, no different. He is a VP of Community Reinvestment Vice President, and he's Crane's 21, 2021 40 under 40. Oh my gosh, Jonathan Bascones, congratulations on that honor alone. 20, uh, 40 under lot, 40, Alex. you made the list. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic honor. Um, I'm just glad I was able to showcase some of the, the great work we've been doing. And, you know, being on a platform like that, it just allows us to, um, you know, to serve in the masses some of the great work that we've been able to, to accomplish, particularly during a troubling year like, you know, 2020. And so how were you able to do it? And by the way, do you think that Queens College education, that experience, helped you get to be on the Cranes 40 under 40? Yeah, so I think absolutely, right? I think Queens College was a, a melting pot that exposed me to different people, different thoughts, different ideas, and, and just being that sensitive to, you know, the world is bigger than, than just my little oyster is, Something that's different perspective. Um, in a year like 2020, it was pretty evident that there was a lot of disparity. There was a lot of suffering, a lot of uh, heartache, not just on, on the front lines, uh, obviously because of the work that they're doing, but you know maybe beneath the covers, right? Beneath beneath the doors and beneath sort of the shades of, of our neighbors. You know, people were struggling um, either with food insecurity, housing insecurity, losing their jobs and employment, and so. It's something that, you know, going to Queens and, and being a, a Queens resident myself currently and still, it's something that, you know, I'm looking at my neighbors and I, and I see them struggling. So anything that we can do was, you know, top of my mind and top of priority. And you are with MNT Bank's Regional Community Reinvestment Act Officer for the Metro New York and New York, Connecticut areas as well as, uh, so so you're with MNT Bank and how how have they been able to help you help New York City, if you will? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. MNT Bank is going to be a, a top, you know, 15 bank in the in the country after we finish our, our acquisition with People's United Bank based out of Bridgeport, Connecticut, this year. And it's been an opportunity for me to to be able to bring my local expertise, uh, being a New York City resident all my life, having worked in community development before coming to the bank, and obviously all the work that we were doing in Queens College. You know, I think, you know, I was very involved in, in student activities and in the community there as well, and so. Bringing or bridging my passions for giving back to the community, you know, being able to now do this at a at a larger setting like a corporate bank, like M and T, has really given me the freedom to provide more resources to to people that look like me and, and folks that work in the same places that I live and work as well. So you deal with philanthropy, and and we're going to the community for a second too. But all of this deals with the pandemic. So investing philanthropy. Is it getting better? Is there now changes that may be forever in the investment world uh, because of this pandemic? What have you seen? Is anything going to go back to normal, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I think, you know, normal is a, is a funny thing. I, I use this allegory pretty, pretty loosely, but what's, you know, normal for the spider is chaos for the fly, right? And so it really depends on, on who we're talking about and, and what it looks like. I think the pandemic has really taken the veneer of, um, you know, some of the underbelly of what was happening in a city with the homelessness issue, 
uh, the social services that haven't been able to reach people that may have needed them. Obviously, there was a lot of food insecurity because, you know, that was very prominent. Uh, or the fact that people just were living paycheck to paycheck in a scale that we just didn't expect or, or ever imagined, right? And so as we saw unemployment increase in New York City, as we saw the homelessness, uh, or sorry, the homeless shelters uh, begin to sort of fill up at a capacity that we just had never seen before, it really, you know, brought to light some of the issues that were always there, that it was just now magnifying and compounded because of the pandemic. I think post-pandemic, um, I'm hopeful that people will remember everything that we saw and that we may not go back to, you know, what we considered normal, right? I, I think hopefully more compassion, more empathy, more understanding for our fellow New Yorkers is what we, you know, we look forward to coming on the other side of this. You know, everybody remembers banging their pots and pans and clapping at 7 p.m. And we don't do that anymore, right? And so it, it's having that kind of gratitude, that kind of compassion, that understanding for a fellow man. I think that's something I'm hopeful that will we'll stay. And how have you in the community been able to impact this community? What what would you say were the highlights of your role and of being in the community this year? Yeah, so, you know, part of the work that I do, is, as you mentioned, is in philanthropy. So I was able to mobilize, you know, dollars really quickly um, at, the, at the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm, I'm not sure if you remember or your, your audience remembers, but uh, the first outbreak in New York State was actually in New Rochelle. It was some lawyer who had gone through some convention and then New Rochelle was sort of locked up. And so we were able very quickly to, you know, deploy $20,000 um, to parts of Westchester that were working with the school districts to help the kids get their meals because it was the first school district in the country that actually closed, um, you know, up until a few, actually a few weeks ago. So it was something that we were able to do to respond fairly quickly. As the pandemic began to ravage parts of Northern Queens, you know, Corona, um, Jackson Heights, and we saw things in Brooklyn, you know, Park Slope, Canarsie, Flatbush, and in the Bronx, obviously, the parts of Mont Haven and um, the South Bronx, we, we really were listening to what the needs were, and we understood that the needs in the Bronx were very different than the needs in Brooklyn because the acute effects of COVID were just impacting those communities very differently. And so we were able to, you know, provide assistance to uh, women-owned shelters uh, and first-time home, you know, first-time mothers in the Bronx. We were able to sort of provide philanthropic resources to food insecurity in Brooklyn, again, with the senior population there. In Staten Island, we were able to really mobilize the JCC to provide seniors with home care and, and home food services that, because of the pandemic, had closed their, their senior centers. Um, and in, in the city, you know, I was very proud to be able to support um, an Asian-American group with some money because they were also dealing with the xenophobia around sort of what, what was, you know, coined there, the the China virus, right? And so we understood that the same Asian hate we're seeing now was beginning to propagate back at, at the onset of the pandemic. And so we were able to respond to that fairly quickly just to provide more resources to groups that were doing the outreach, providing sort of education and, and just, you know, giving that conversation and, and giving that sort of that issue some light. Well, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this rise in hate crimes against the Asian community actually started back in February 2020, and no one really covered right. it back then, right? So I'm glad that you were over there. You know, when I think about investment in philanthropy and, and the community, I often talk think about how, you know, capitalism kind of is talked down on, right, in today's society. But what if we reinvented it to capitalism in the community? And I feel like your work is doing just that, bringing the capital into the community. Would you agree? Yeah, it, it's 
it's, it's an interesting sort of dilemma, right? Because capitalism is fantastic for some, but by definition, it's going to, you know, it's going to have winners and losers, right? And so at some point, there has to be a way to, to make sure that the losers aren't losing as much and maybe the winners are maybe they're not winning as much. And so maybe we can ditch that divide. And so to your point, putting capital into the community maybe helps level off or, or helps all those people who are affected by capitalism in other ways receive it. So a, a tangible example of that is if we can give people who have been just recently fired, right, unemployed because of the pandemic, give them some assistance, give them some food vouchers. Here is some gift cards to eat at the uh, to buy at the stop and shop or at the local sort of convenience stores. It helps put money back into the communities and it helps people who have been sort of um, economically disadvantaged because of just a situation that wasn't their fault of their all, right? It was just the circumstances that they that they were in. And so, if we can provide that money to reinvest in their communities um, or help small businesses sort of stay afloat by, you know, giving them some some philanthropic resources to give food to, to nurses or give food to, to the local shelters. It's something that, to your point, just doubles the impact because, you know, there's more than just one winner. There's multiple winners in that, in that case. Now, you were able to bring funding in, but was that tough? See, I, I, I don't know. In a pandemic, everybody's a little shy to ask people to give back. So how did you guys master that? Because it, it was a touchy subject. Hey, can you donate to this cause during a pandemic? It was like, how do you go about asking about that? Yeah, you know, I think there's a there's a fear in and most people have when it's asking for something, right? Most of us, because again, to your point, the capitalist sort of the idea is like we want to be able to to come out on top and and to you know beat or, or or to come in first. I think ultimately, a lot of people are giving people. A lot of people want to give back if they're presented with an opportunity to give back, right? And so, you know, maybe it's not. You know, I know that you got laid off. You know, can you give me a can you give me a buck? It's we're both laid off. Can we help each other? You know, I have a little bit more here. You have something there. Can we sort of you know work together instead of just separately? And I think giving people the opportunity to give where they can and how they can, um, you'd be surprised at how how giving people really are. And and so it sounds like you saw a lot of that, uh, but along with what you mentioned, the cheering has now stopped. Has the giving stopped at all now that things are sort of coming back, or do you still see the giving as strong as it was last year? Um, so, so, because the, uh, we're not we're no longer in the throes of pandemic, I think it's fairly safe to say that um, there's been a bit of a reprieve. I'm super thrilled to sort of see the vaccination numbers in New York City increase. We've been supporting uh, vaccination uh, campaigns in local communities to spread the word. You know assuage any fears that people may have around their hesitation around the vaccine, you know, bring doctors to communities to, to help, the, again, the community feel more comfortable with what's going on. So as the situation gets better, the, the pandemic is, is hopefully in the rear view mirror, right? But, you know, every year um, or every six months, we know that there's something that's still not working, right? While the pandemic showed that there is food insecurity, housing insecurity, job insecurity, mental health issues. People couldn't get some of their, their care, right? They couldn't see their doctors. They couldn't see their, their, their families. Those issues were compounded because of the pandemic, but I don't think they've gone away because the pandemic has gotten better, right? The people who were still food insecure, or maybe a little bit less food insecure, but they still have, you know, food needs. The seniors still need to be able to receive their home aid and health care, right? So, 
some of these other issues are, are ongoing. Um, I, I'm happy to sort of say that, you know, the worst of the worst, it, I just have never seen it before and I haven't seen it since. Uh, so things are getting better, but, you know, there's always something else. And in, if you're asking me, what am I seeing in, in the in the front of, you know, instead of looking back in the rear mirror, what am I looking at my dashboard? Well, there's a lot of folks who have been, um, you know, because of the eviction moratorium in New York State and around the country, uh, th- those are folks who are who might be evicted in the next, you know, eight to ten months once that gets lifted, right? So that's something that is top of mind. The fact that all these small businesses haven't been able to come back, you know, I'm, I'm super thrilled that we're reopening in two weeks, but you know, some of these businesses will never come back. And so it's how do we get those entrepreneurs who who lost everything? How do we get them back on their feet? And so while the pandemic ravaged and showed, you know, the underbelly of what's happening in our city. I do think that rebuilding and fortifying New York is where, where the next uh, frontier is going to be for at least philanthropy or, or, you know, just the bankers in the room. And, you know, everybody wants to bring bring their money to the table, if you will, for that cause, you know, to, to rebuild New York. I think that's going to be great. But, yeah, with the evictions, it's terrible with small businesses. So let me ask you this. Did you... Were you there for the small business owner that didn't know how to get the SBA loan? Like, how was that role for you guys? And what, where, you know, how can people turn to you if they still have some issues going on through this pandemic? How can people turn to you as we get into the next phase here? Yeah, so the the PPP, right, the Payroll Protection Program that was run out of the SBA, that came out of um, the CARES Act in, in 2020 as a response to the small businesses sort of flailing um, because of all the, all the, the closures in, around the country. Um, that was something that we obviously at MNT leaned heavily into. It was something that, you know, we were uh, very high on the list in terms of being one, doing outreach, being able to, to provide the, the loans, the businesses, the businesses that needed them, as well as sort of expanding the, the process to help them at this point now look for forgiveness from that loan, right? And so, it was a top priority. It's something that we've been investing a lot of our time and our resources, both in terms of providing educational content, but again, walking business owners through that process, which can be cumbersome. Uh, I think people forget that the legislation was built or was finished on the Thursday, and by that Monday, like the floodgates opened, right? And so it crashed. Of that, yeah, it, it was. It was, uh, uh, you know, a little touch and go because again, we were just building the plan as we were flying them. Um, but it, I think at this point in the process, we we're we're still sort of getting more guidance from the government. There's a lot of coordination around how to help businesses. And so there's more programs now. I think philanthropy is also helping in that space. I know I saw a lot of companies like Verizon and Lowe's put in a lot of money to get grants. So they're not even alone, just get free money to small businesses. Um, and it's something that we did as well, you know, just to help them, um, you know, get to that next uh, payroll if it made sense. And uh, yeah, it, it- and so do you think the PPE and all these loans start um, continue? Do you think these stimulus packages continue or are they dying down now? No, I, I think, you know, there needs to be more stimulus, right? I, I think there needs to be more support for our small businesses, for our farmers, um, you know, for all of our agricultural sort of, you know, growers and, and producers. Um, that's something that doesn't get talked about, right? Like, the farm industry was also ravaged. People weren't buying the, at the levels because the restaurants were closed, right? And so uh, there was there was a butterfly effect across every single sector, right? Tourism, whatever you, you name it, it had such an indelible impact that 
it, it was very clear that the airlines had to had to survive that some of the hotels had to survive as well and so that's what it was priority for the first iteration of the cares act i think as we're getting through the pandemic the question now becomes how do we revitalize um some of these these areas I, you've seen it you go downtown in, in in midtown or in parts of the city and it's still quiet it's still dead and so the question is like how do we get folks in there how do we get small businesses back in there how do we get people the, the purchasing power to put it back into their communities and I think it's through through some more support. And uh, and I'm sure MT MNT is going to be at the front line. Have you had any engagement with the uh, with the federal government on this? Like, how has MNT actually worked with the feds to get funding out there? So we work through our you know associations and through our relationships. We have conversations, but. Oh, in terms of direct lobbying, um, that's beyond my scope. I'm, I'm not really sure to be sure to tell you, Alex, but um, I do know that we're consistently advocating that with our peer banks to, to speak to sort of the needs in our communities. Um, and it's very clear that just because the, vex, the infection rates are going down, the effects of the, of the pandemic haven't necessarily ended. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that the world hasn't gone back to how it was you know, a year and a half ago now. So it, what, what, you know, whether we can sort of debate how much money and where does it go to and who gets it, I think that's the second step. I think the first step is convincing people that more, more aid is needed. Well, that's, uh, how, do, how do we convince them? Because I know a lot of people are very anti-stimulus now or worry that's going to be a government dependency thing. And I, I kind of, I hate to say lean toward that, but I, I do want people to be on their own two feet as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and so the question then becomes, like, you know, how do you think we can get there, right? And so I have a lot of ideas, right? Like, do we provide entrepreneurship grants, right, to small business owners who lost their business and now want to do something else, right? So if you were a small deli, bodega, pop-and-pop shop in Brooklyn and you had to close because you couldn't afford the rent and you couldn't afford your payroll to pay, to pay your folks, like you clearly were a strong business owner before. Maybe if we gave you the resources to start a second business, um, it would help you then employ five or six people in the community just like you were before. So, you know, I, I understand the the argument against disincentivizing people to, you know, to work because of stimulus, but one of the things people forget is that they're taxed on that money too. So whatever federal relief that people get, it's taxed, right? If you get unemployment, you have to pay taxes on it. If you get some some of these loans from the bank, PVP loans, you either have to pay them back or you have to prove that, you know, you were you were able to use them to the fullest extent that allowed them to get um, forgiven. So, with, whenever, with every give you, there's a gotcha. And so, I, I just I'd be remiss to sort of say that stimulus doesn't mean just give away money and then people just buy you know Dogecoin or whatever it is. I think it's you know we're talking about the folks who have been really seriously impacted who are needing money for for food or for housing or for medication and and those are the folks we really want to target if you know if at all well and uh, you know the work's never done so john thanks so much for joining me today on this and i think uh it is a big part of the adapting role right because you guys are helping people adapt in the community Absolutely. And, and thank you for having me uh, this morning with you or, or today with you. It, it's fantastic. I think adapting is, is something that uh, makes total sense and it's something that we need to look to towards the future for, right? So if we want to adapt towards how things were before, 
um, I think it's clear that it's not working. So if we're going to adapt, we need to have one eye on the, you know, one eye looking forward, one eye seeing where we've come from. Uh, but we need to move move forward in that direction. I guess one of the things to to ask you is how have you eased people's emotional worries around? Well, you know, around the stimul- around everything, because a lot of people got emotionally distressed too. So, your clientele they started to come to the beginning of this. How did you allay their fears, if you will, as we move through this? Well, I think that the first thing is that I don't have all the answers, and I, I am just the same as you, right? Like I have the same insecurities, I have the same fears. I was worried about getting COVID. I was worried about my family getting COVID. I was worried about being laid off. I was worried about all the same things that everybody's worried about, right? So I think that's the first thing, that there was nobody who knew how to get through this in any which way. We were all in it together. Um, And I I have to be very candid with you, uh, Alex, that in in those first three to four months, I want to say between like March and June, like there was so much uncertainty, so much insecurity, so much anxiety around what this meant, how long this was going to go for. The pandemic was supposed to be a two-week closure that ended up being now for months. And we were looking at each other like, is this the last time we're seeing each other in person? Or, or is this the last time we have gone to the world that we knew it? So that, I think that's the first thing. Like, I was sympathetic because I was in the same shoes as, as somebody else. My folks were also laid off, right? Like, my, my friends and, and, and family were you know, on unemployment because they needed to, because it was no fault of their own, right? So I understood. And, and having that compassion and that empathy is what allowed us to create an equitable solution to some of these issues. Like, you know, these are the issues that are affecting this particular community. And I understand that. And those, and that answer for that community is not, it's going to be different to an answer for a different community. The needs of flushing were completely different to the needs of, uh, you know, upper Manhattan. And, and we absolutely understood that. And so it, we have to talk about the nuance when it comes to sort of, you know, what are people's fears and anxieties in that mental health, right? So, if you were living with your elderly parents, you were worried about them, right? You were worried about their health. If you had young kids, you were worried about them. And so it, it really comes down to just having that humanity and adapting to my job is not a banker. My job is as a human being to help this other person. And how do I do that to the best of my ability? Well, I look forward to hearing more about this, actually, as we go through the day. So come back and tell me more about what you're doing as the VP of Community uh, investment at MNT Bank, uh, Jonathan from from Queens. So now it's so cool to see you thriving and moving along, and and it's it just fun to catch up, you know. So thanks for for being out there for us. Thanks for having me, Alex. Thank you, John, and happy eighth anniversary with MNT Bank. Can't wait to have you come back. And yes, here at Alex Garrett Podcasting, we're always adapting.